Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, friends. Long time no chat. And by chat, I mean it's been a long time since I haven't had a guest on. Maybe not that long. It just feels like a long time in my head. Maybe a month. What a week. We had a huge week between gossip outside of the show and we had OG and two episodes of Teen Mom Young and Pregnant. I think what I'm going to do is just run through my notes, not quickly, but without a ton, a ton of detail for both shows so I can get them both in. And then next week, I'm not sure what I'll do. It's hard. I like both of the shows and I want to talk about both of them. Anyway, obviously, we have to start out with the big news of the week, which is really dark and disturbing. Um, It broke, I think, on Wednesday that the previous Saturday night, so like the week, eight days before you get this podcast, Janelle and David had an altercation. She called somebody, a woman called 911 for assault. The police came, nothing happened. Janelle went to the hospital privately, but there was no police report. There was no arrest made. And uh, she apparently filmed the next day, and the crew had no idea what had happened. Ashley reported this, I think, on Wednesday. Now, the next day, Janelle's rep, I use that in quotation marks because Janelle does not have a rep. That means she was just, like, answering emails on that PR account she has, probably. Janelle's rep said that, Uh, The story was wrong. They had a bonfire and she fell by the bonfire. So the police had to come. Now, of course, this is bullshit. We knew this is bullshit because the sheriff's representative had said on record to the Ashley that the 911 call was about assault and that Janelle was advised on her rights and what she was allowed to do regarding domestic violence and that she chose not to press charges. I don't know why Janelle does these things, like why she sends emails saying that there was a bonfire, because she has to know that the 911 call is going to come out. They always come out. It only takes a matter of days once we know of the arrest or the situation. I just will never fully be under, be under. I'll never fully be able to understand what goes through Janelle's head when she tells these lies that everybody knows our lies it's really difficult for me to process I've never been able to process it she doesn't even have to comment she could have just said no comment and then waited for the 911 call to come out which I mean she would have known what it would say but she has to know that it's going to come out and then respond to that it and I know like people are saying well David probably made her say that but I honestly don't think that's the case this is always how Janelle has been always Anytime it becomes public that certain things happen, she starts with these, like, crazy, crazy excuses that literally nobody believes, that there's no way she believes anybody will believe. So everybody was kind of like, okay, that bonfire story is clearly fake. My thought was, 
The 911 call will be out soon. Let's just wait and hear what it says. Now, TMZ got the 911 call yesterday. Some people asked me if I was going to be playing it on this podcast, but I am not. It's upsetting. It's sad. Those are the same thing. But it's dark. It's very triggering. If you want to hear it, go to TMZ. Go to Ashley. Go to Starcasm. Go to Us Weekly. Go anywhere around the world in celebrity reality TV gossip, and you can listen to the 911 call. But I just, it's too dark to play on this podcast. I don't, I don't want to play it. Um, I listened to it twice through yesterday to get like the full thoughts and feelings on it. And it's really sad. Uh, it starts with the ringing and Janelle sobbing because 911 calls start recording like as soon as you call. An operator picks up like a dispatcher and then it connects you to your local dispatcher and it's recording then. She's sobbing. She talks to the dispatcher. She says that her husband broke her collarbone. She heard a pop. Now, do I believe that her collarbone is broken? No. Do I believe that David pinned her down and hurt her? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Of course that happened. I just, I think that we have to remember that this is Janelle and that saying like, David broke her collarbone isn't a factual statement. She went and filmed the next day and her arm was on in a sling. Nobody had any idea what happened. She was riding four wheelers last night. Her collarbone isn't broken. Most likely. But David hurt her. And I think it's pretty obvious from her crying that David hurt her. I think also that she was very scared. I also think that possibly David was leaving because she says in the 911 call, like, I don't know, he's leaving, he left with a friend, and then he comes back in, and I wouldn't be shocked if part of her calling 911 was kind of in uh, retribution for him leaving. And then that's why when he came back in, she, like, hangs up the phone and decides not to press charges against him. I wouldn't be surprised if he came back and agreed to stay in exchange for no charges being pressed. Now... I want to make something clear based on some uh, tweets that I got from people this week. I have always, I mean, I hope I've always been clear that I know David is an abusive person. He abuses Kaiser. We know he abuses Kaiser. He abused his ex-girlfriend. I'm positive at one point on this podcast, I read the restraining order petition on here where she stated that he left her on the side of the road at pregnant he pushed her when she was seven months pregnant and she fell down by the way she didn't fall down stairs it's like kind of online the stories like he pushed her down a flight of stairs but that's not what happened he pushed her she went into early labor and had to be given medicine to stop it at seven months pregnant and then after the baby was born he strangled her and that's why she was able to get such a long restraining order that also included the son and that's why he wasn't allowed to see his son Caden for like three years or two years I know David is an abuser. What I wasn't saying on this podcast for a reason was that David beats Janelle. Now, I'm not comfortable sitting around and being like he beats the shit out of her when we don't have any evidence of that. It just, it's just not something that I'm going to do. I also would not be surprised, and I think this might be controversial, if this was actually the first time he had hurt Janelle. David punches holes in walls. David hits the kids. Maybe David pushes Janelle around. 
But all of that is stuff that she can rationalize in her mind. I wouldn't be shocked if this was the first time that he, like, really got physical with her in a way that scared her. And that's why she decided to call 911. Because as we know, Janelle calls 911 all the time, anytime she feels, anytime she feels any sort of danger. And here, also, I just want to say another thing. So when I initially listened to that call, I had a feeling like, oh, I think this is Janelle exaggerating. Like, this is, this is how she exaggerates. I sat on it for a while. I decided maybe she isn't, uh, upon listening to it more, like, she genuinely is in fear. And I know David's an abuser. So I, like, I believe that she was in fear and that David had hurt her. And that's why she called 911. Even if she was exaggerating or making it up or whatever or she instigated it or and he was just defending himself or the million other things that could be what happened that aren't just straight up like David broke her collarbone completely unprovoked no matter what is happening it is an abusive scary toxic and dangerous situation those children need to be removed need to be removed Kaiser needs to go live with Doris. Supposedly Kaiser is with Doris right now. Nate's there. Supposedly, like I read Teen Mom Updates Facebook page, which is like always just make shit up, said that Nathan was driving from Florida to get Florida to get Kaiser. And I'm like, get him and take him where though? I think realistically Kaiser's just with Doris for the weekend. Um, but Kaiser should stay with Doris. Kaiser should not go to Florida with Nate. Kaiser should stay with Doris. Uh, Jace, how Janelle still has unsupervised visits for Jace to be there after the gun incident, I do not know. I don't understand it. I don't know it. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I think that Marissa and Ensley should go live with David's mom. I don't know if David's mom is actually a great option, but... Those kids need to be out of that land. No matter how you, like, take in that 911 call, you think Janelle's lying, you think Janelle's telling 100% truth, you think there might be a little bit of ambiguity to it, but you still believe that physical violence occurred. No matter what, it is not a place for children. It's not a place that Janelle should be, but Janelle is not ready to leave. The state needs to come in and protect those children. And it's so terrifying to me that they're not doing anything. I do think, um, I think Princess was the one that pointed this out to me. And she was like, do you think that just the onslaught of calls they get from viewers and haters, et cetera, et cetera, makes it like they just are like, whatever, every time they get a CPS report against Janelle? And I do. I think people abusing the system, like, to get Janelle in trouble has really hurt those kids because they don't take these accusations as seriously as they should because she gets so many false reports against her. I, I'm genuinely worried for the kids. Of course, David and Janelle are still together. Yesterday, they just posted a billion pictures together with how much they love each other and how happy they are. Um, and you know what? I believe they were happy yesterday because I think this is their normal. I think they have explosive fights all the time. I don't necessarily think they turn physical all the time. Like I said, I bet they, David punches holes in walls. I also wouldn't be surprised if David allows Janelle to kind of wild out on him and get physical with him and he doesn't do anything back. And then on Saturday, he did something back and that shook her. I 
I know Janelle was genuinely terrified when she made that call. I just don't, I don't think that it was that unusual of a night for them. Um, except for the fact that maybe the violence got to a point where Janelle got really scared and couldn't handle it. I really, I really worry for everyone there. I know a lot of people say the only way this will end is with Janelle dead. I personally just don't like to think like that. That's not a way that I like to think. I won't say that. I can't say that. I don't know how this will end. I think Janelle is unique in that she, I think their their abusive relationship is unique in that Janelle actually controls all the money and the purse strings, uh, which gives her a little more power. Although I do know that it's possible for an abuser to totally take over their victims, all of their financial accounts and access and even though they're not the ones making money, they're still in charge. That could be happening there. I think Janelle's a little lucky in having MTV on her side and the power of exposing David on her side. But I think they are an extremely toxic relationship. I think that they, Janelle and David, represent an abusive relationship that's extremely common that we don't talk about that much in which there's not a perfect victim. Um, and I think it's a situation that doesn't elicit a lot of empathy often because Janelle is not a perfect victim. Although I will say like the the whole the internet as a whole has been very supportive towards her and that's good. I do think though it's because they hate David and they want to be proved right that David is abusive. And I think that if this was another guy they wouldn't be so willing to believe her, but I mean I guess whatever it's good that she's being believed. She is not a perfect victim. She's a victim that antagonizes. She's a victim that creates drama. She's a victim that starts fights. And I think that that's very common in abusive relationships, but we just don't want to talk about that that often in mainstream society because I think that's a lot more complicated than a woman who is beat by her husband and she doesn't do anything wrong. And it's much easier to look at her and be like, wow, this is horrible than it is to look at a situation like Janelle's where the victim is a very mentally ill, toxic person. Um, but that doesn't mean she's not a victim. I know, like, I hope at least that my my intent is coming across clearly here in which I believe that Janelle can be an exaggerator, Janelle can be a liar, and she can also be a victim of abuse. And I think that you can look at this situation and look at it in all of these ways. And I want to be clear on that, that I know that David got physical with her. I'm very worried for her. I'm very worried for her safety. I'm extremely worried for her children. I think Janelle is in over her head with David. I think she has always had abusive boyfriends, but not in the way that David has like totally infiltrated her life in every way. Um, and has no desire to leave her. I think most of her abusive boyfriends get very tired of her and her toxicity and her just the way that she is. Over time, they get very tired of her and end up leaving her. And it's concerning that I don't think that that's going to happen with David. Um, I also think that, like, in the past, she has abuse the system when it comes to reporting abuse and I'm worried that she now has found a guy that actually is beating her ass and she's realized like uh-oh but I mean I do think Nate beat her up 
sorry, my dog is in the background, like, having a conniption fit. And I can't lock her in a room because she's 15 years old and you can't do that to this doggy. But I don't know. It's just, it's really sad, guys. I don't want to, like, delve so deep into it. I think it's a complicated situation. I think abuse is complicated. I think toxic relationships are complicated. I think mental illness is complicated. And I think all of those things are involved here. And I am genuinely worried for Janelle. And I'm very, very, very worried for the kids. I'm very worried for the kids. It's extremely scary that they are with a man like David and a mom like Janelle. Okay, shifting gears a tiny bit. I want to talk about something that most people probably aren't totally expecting me to talk about today, but I have been like in distress about it for multiple days, which is Angie, how do I even say their last name? I don't know. Angie from Team Mom 3, Mackenzie McKee's mom. Dohe? I don't know. I can't, I don't know. So Angie posts these very long Instagram posts all the time, and they start every time with a Bible verse. So I'm not going to read that. But what I am going to read is this. Happy birthday, Mackenzie. 24 looks good on you. Yes, my baby is 24. Mackenzie and I both wish we could say it's been an easy 24 years. But she will tell you that she was proudly my biggest challenge in life. You take ADHD, type 1 diabetes, anxiety, ODD, hormonal issues, and put them all together in one tiny body and you've got one hot mess. But I'm so thankful for my hot mess. She changed me in a mighty way. I learned to be patient and to pick and choose my battles. I learned truly, I learned to truly love unconditionally. I learned to pray, pray, pray. I learned that not everything is the parent's fault. I learned how incredibly talented and determined she was. Her stubbornness paid off and she is very successful today. Inside her was many abilities that we have shown forth, that have shown forth through the years. We are very close. She calls me for advice every day and we have a lot of things in common. She taught me a lot about God. God always loves us no matter how rude we are or if we just blamed him for everything. His love never wavers. God always forgives and moves on. He doesn't dwell in the past. God looks at our gifts and our talents inside all of us, and no matter how undisciplined we seem on the outside, he seems a, he sees a future butterfly about to sprout its wings and fly. God always points us to the positive instead of the negative. Yes, I'm a much better mother and teacher because of my stubborn, yet very fun and talented Mickey. Today, I'm very thankful for 24 years with my baby girl. I love you, Mick. I asked her she, what she wanted for her birthday. She said, I just want a day with my mom and my sisters. So we are all going to get to be together today. What an incredible blessing. Today, think about your biggest challenge. Let God show how he is working through it and how he is choosing you for the better. Then go share your story and help someone else through the same battle. These challenges often turn into the greatest blessings. Love you, Mackenzie. You are a true blessing Hashtag always be kind. Hashtag stay strong, mighty warrior. Hashtag it's only cancer. Okay, I'm going to take a five second break and then quickly get into this. Guys, what in the fuck is that? Now, what immediately jumps out is that she says Mackenzie has ODD. For those of you that don't know, ODD is Oppositional Defiance Disorder. It is a pretty serious diagnosis. I think I've talked about this on the podcast, 
but I have, I went to school with, for kids with learning disabilities. And so like a few of my classmates had ODD diagnosis and they, it's not just like you're bad or you have ADHD, so you don't pay attention. It's like extreme defiance that often results in dangerous and destructive behavior. Um, my one of my very good friends, little brother, had ODD. Like, he would pull knives out on people. The police would have to come to their house constantly. Uh, we've grown up, and he, if he went to the doctors, I can almost definitely be assured he would have an antisocial personality disorder uh, diagnosis. He genuinely, like, has no conscience and no soul the way that the rest of us do. Um, I mean, you can have ODD and grow up through therapy and hard work to become a normal and productive member of society. But it's a serious diagnosis. First of all, it's pretty rare to get in girls that just might be like diagnosis bias. But I cannot imagine that Mackenzie is ODD. She does not show any of the symptoms of it as an adult. Um, When we met her on 16 and Pregnant, she did not show any of the symptoms of a child with ODD. In fact, I would say the opposite. She did decently in school. She was on her dedicated cheerleading team. She was in lots of activities and sports and seemed to be a pretty normal kid. What I believe Mackenzie has ADHD all day, every day. She has a lot of symptoms of ADHD. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um... But the idea of Mackenzie having ODD is so crazy. What I, first of all, if that's true, to put that on there is fucked up because Mackenzie has never talked about in public that she has an ODD diagnosis. Second of all, I find it more likely that Angie has given her a diagnosis of ODD. Now, I think I made this clear on the episode about her cancer. I do not like Angie. I think she is very cruel, especially towards Mackenzie. I have never seen such a narcissistic birthday post in my fucking life. Me, me, me. I, I, I. I, like, how can you drag your child on what could be your last birthday together? Like, it is possible that Angie will not be here for Mackenzie's 25th birthday, and this is what she chooses to write for her? That you're a hot mess that taught me that God loves challenges? Like, how fucked up of a mother can you be? Even at my lowest, like, I found, (laughs) this is sick, I found on my mom's computer because I was helping her do something, and I'm a nosy bitch, and I saw something titled, letter to Dave Reliz, Dave be my dad. So I was like, oh, let me click on this. And it's from like a year before I got sober. I was in like this really bad, depressive place. I had this horribly abusive boyfriend. Things were really, really bad. And the letter was about how my mom thought that they should send me to this like intensive outpatient um, depression therapy because like they couldn't figure nobody like understood what a drug addict I was so we were always trying to like cure my depression not realizing that I was a drug addict (laughs) be like I don't know why I'm so depressed yeah because you're a fucking drug addict I think this hat this was like 2013 the winter of 2013 I got sober in May of 2014 so it was like a dark time I wasn't doing heroin yet but like things are bad and dark now It was 
the letter was like about how they needed to help me. Like I stopped reading it because it made me sad, but like it was a hundred times nicer than what Angie wrote in this Instagram post. And that was a private letter that my mom wrote to my dad. I don't know why she like typed it. Maybe she emailed it to him. I don't know. I didn't ask her about it. Obviously I wasn't supposed to read it. And it was a long time ago and things have changed. So there's no point in talking to her about it. But like, that was nicer than what anybody, like, what Mackenzie's mom says about her in her fucking birthday post. Angie's so cruel. I just, I can't, I hope once she passes that Mackenzie is able to get a lot, a lot, a lot of therapy to deal with having a mother that says things on your birthday. Like, I learned that it's not always a parent's thought. Or fault, not thought. <sighs> Poor Mac. Okay, let's go on to OG. Okay, I know I've been all on board with Cheyenne's storyline the last... Are we on episode three? The last two episodes? But I found her very dull this week. Um, I wasn't into the party still be going on and them just being, like, drunk and screaming at each other. I don't know. I just felt like, why are we watching this? Like, it doesn't push the story forward in any way it doesn't have anything to do with like her relationship with Corey. i don't know it was just boring like listening to her first of all cheyenne's voice the way she speaks i find it very annoying i can't put my finger exactly on it but i just don't like it i couldn't stand listening to her drunk and screaming i'm i wasn't into it she she and her dad fight but they make up. I don't care that much about what happened to Cheyenne this week. I did dislike Corey being like, <laughs> I hate drama. I'm not in the drama. Like, they were having fights, but, like, I'm so not dramatic. Like, he didn't start the entire fucking fight between Cheyenne and her dad when he knew that her dad wasn't supposed to know about Zach. I don't like Corey. I think he's a player. I think he's a shit stirrer. Uh, I think that he's doing it for TV, and that bothers me. That's actually all I want to talk about with Cheyenne. <laughs> Nothing really happened, so let's just skip down to Kate. Plus, we have all of Teen Mom Young and Pregnant to go through as well. I think I am just going to briefly go over each girl's segments, uh, because that's ten different segments for over three episodes. So, Kate is still adjusting to life home. She says she still has to fill out the list, but she doesn't have time because they're going on Dr. Oz. Because what do they need to do? They need to go on Dr. Oz. Now, Dr. Oz is obviously a work trip for them. They get paid to go on Dr. Oz. I'd love to know how much money they get paid to do it. Um, if anybody has any idea what type of money you get to be on these shows, please let me know. I'm very interested. Like, how much money Kate and Tyler would get to go on Dr. Oz. They go on the show to be mental health advocates and talk about mental health. And it's like, maybe instead of doing that, you should go to therapy and, like, work on yourself at home and not be on TV doing it. But, you know, what do I know? I just don't think Kate is strong enough at this point in her life to be taking this on. They meet with Dr. Dow, who I guess is a psychiatrist or psychologist on Dr. Oz's show, and they have this little, like, post-episode powwow, and 
Tyler says something about like, well, I need to show Kate how to love me. Basically being like he's not clear with his needs, which is true. And Dr. Dow asks like if this is the lowest point in their relationship. And they both agree like, no, it's definitely not the lowest point in their relationship. The lowest points in their relationship were like when they were kids right after the adoption which I definitely thought was interesting to hear. I don't know if I would have, like, realized that that was the lowest point in their relationship. And Dr. Dow asks, like, out of 1 to 10 where their relationship is. And Kate kind of speaks over Tyler. And Kate says that they think they're at a 6 to 7. Which seems ambitious. I would have liked to hear Tyler's answer. I would have bet he put them around a 4 would be my guess. That's from an outsider looking in. They seem to be at a four, which in my opinion for a marriage is pretty low. There's no way they're at a seven. Kate says she's trying to be more open to Tyler, but she's like scared of it a little, which I think is definitely true. And she's like, well, being on the Dr. Oz show helped me realize how severe it was. Oh, these two are so fucked up. They're so fucked up. Like how... Oh, why doesn't Tyler just talk to her? Why do they have to go on the Dr. Oz show for Kate to realize it? I don't know. People were mad that she online that she wasn't filling out the list herself, but I don't think she's ever going to fill out that list. I don't think Kate does therapy homework. I think she is a person that's going to have real issues with therapy homework, which is something I can relate to. I've never done very well in therapy that requires homework. Um, Tyler goes and plays pool with a with two friends and he gets drunk and he says he's not happy he has no idea when it will ever turn around their relationship is never 50 50 and he his friend's like okay so you need to tell her that like your needs need to be met and tyler's like well blah 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 blah, blah. like it's so up that's just the thing that's driving me crazy is that tyler is so clearly just taking it all and not doing anything to advocate for herself or himself or stand up for himself and Kate's getting a lot of shit for not taking care of herself which is true and deserved but at the same time it's like but Tyler's not taking care of himself either and Tyler has the resources to leave her and also why didn't Tyler hire a nanny why don't they have a live-in nanny or at least like a daily nanny come when he is all by himself without Kate he didn't have to do it all by himself like they have the means I think she I mean I understand it's hard even with a nanny but I do feel like Tyler and Kate want things to be as hard for themselves as possible like I think that that's just how they're used to living and they have no idea how to live a different way by the way it's Saturday when I'm recording this because I'm recording this little late and I watched this episode on Wednesday and now I remember why I don't like watching the episode so far in advance because even though I'm reading off my notes I feel like I didn't watch this episode <laughs> this show is so boring it like is in one eye out the other I know the saints in one ear out the other but I barely even heard it it's it's so bad the show I can't believe I have a podcast rehabbing the worst show that's on TV. (laughs) So Bristol's scenes were kind of weird. Sarah Palin made another appearance and who else thought she was drunk? (laughs) I shout shout out to my friend KP because I sent her a message and was like, was she drunk? Or maybe she said to me, was she drunk? And we both agreed she was. I got a couple texts that was like, was Sarah Palin drunk in her scenes? She was so weird. 
Basically, the divorce is on track. Bristol and Dakota are breaking up. And Trip is doing Dancing with the Stars Jr. in L.A. Because why wouldn't you have your child on two reality shows at the same time? You know, why wouldn't you have your child working and making money? <laughs> Bristol took all the kids to L.A. Sarah Palin is there, as I said. And Brist- or Dakota calls Bristol and is basically like, so when are you coming back? What's the schedule? Apparently, there's no coordination. He has no idea how long Bristol's in L.A., how long his kids are in L.A., when they'll be back in Boston, Boston, Austin. And Bristol is very unwilling to talk to Dakota. Dakota seems willing to talk to Bristol, but in my opinion, it doesn't seem like the most honest talk he's willing to have. I don't know. I think Dakota's performing for the cameras a little bit. And I think Bristol can sense that, which is why she's getting so upset. They're still sharing the same house. Apparently, Bristol is allowed to stay in that house for up to a year, but will be moving out as soon as she gets her new house, which happened uh, in the last month. We get a weird scene of them on the phone, and Dakota says something like, I've never accused you of being a bad mom. And she's like, I'm a bad mom? What? Why are you saying I'm a bad mom? I'm like, I think he just said the opposite. (sighs) I don't know. The two of them are very, very dysfunctional. It's obvious that they were getting divorced way before the show started. I think I told you guys on here, I read a rumor that is probably not true, that Dakota agreed to go on the show because Bristol agreed to give him, uh, like, joint custody without a fight if he would just go on the show, which, like, is probably isn't true, but also seems true. I don't know. It's just, like, weird to bring... To bring a couple that clearly hates each other, that's in the midst of a divorce, onto the show and watch them get a divorce. <laughs> Especially when one of them is, like, very unwell. Sarah, as I said, in the car scene is very drunk. And it was very, very weird. She does say that Bristol is great at logistics and that Bristol should have a career being a logistics person. Which, I don't know, maybe that's great. Um, Dakota, has everybody else noticed that Dakota just, like, lays it all out there? Like, he has no qualms about, like, saying what he needs to say. <laughs> he, like, acts like Curthy is his long-lost friend. Which, you know, I appreciate. Dakota says that, like, he hasn't seen Bristol. When she's there, he leaves. When he's there, she leaves. He did move all of her stuff from the master bedroom to a side bedroom. Um... Which seems like a weird thing to do. I was under the impression that she was probably the one that bought that house. I was a little surprised that he was taking over the house. But I guess I also think it's, like, not that weird if, like, they decided through the lawyers that Dakota was going to be keeping the house. That he would move her stuff out of the master bedroom because he was keeping the master bedroom. Bristol isn't pleased by it. She gets home and she's like, Sailor, what happened to my house? I'm like, "Mm, did you need to ask Sailor that? Did Sailor need to be involved? Dakota definitely could have and should have sent her a heads up text that was like, hey girl, moving all your stuff since you're the one that isn't going to be here anymore in the master bedroom is going to be mine. Or asked her to do it when she was home. Like, hey girl, could you move your stuff out of the master bedroom? Or he could have moved his stuff out of the master bedroom until she agreed to leave when she got a new house. Dakota is... Dakota's a woman's name and Bristol is not a name. 
So, like, I have a hard time when I'm going over their scenes in my head saying the right name. Bristol is very upset. Um, She starts crying. She says that she feels like it's really petty. She said the only thing that she asked for was the money that she put into the house back. Basically, like, buy me out of the house. She said she bought every piece of furniture in the house. She's not asking for that. I, okay. Here's another reason I think it's very weird to bring them in so late in their relationship. Clearly, there's a lot going on between them that we're not privy to, and I also don't understand it. Like, I feel very, very confused by whatever is happening with Bristol and Dakota because I feel like there's four years of backstory that we have not seen. And, like, I when Dakota moved her stuff, I was like, okay. Like, I really didn't think anything of it. And then Bristol was crying, and I was like, I am confused by this. I don't understand their relationship dynamic. I don't know either one of them. So it's hard to see a couple that you don't know anything about, really, like have a fight on camera. And they're obviously fighting about what's been going on in their, I mean, they've been together for three or four years at this point, let's say four years, in their four-year relationship. And that just confuses, it's confusing as an audience member. Like, it with Cheyenne and Zach... So it's easy to compare them because they're the new couple. It's not so confusing. We know, well, not Cheyenne and Zach, Cheyenne and Corey. We know that Cheyenne and Corey were together. We're never together. Now they're co-parenting. Cheyenne has a boyfriend, but Cheyenne and Corey are still flirty. Like, that's a very easy to digest situation. I think it's because maybe I should just speak for me. For me, that's a very easy to digest situation. I've not been in that situation, but I've been in situations where you like a guy, but he doesn't want to be with you. So you're with somebody else, but you still are hung up on this guy. And he's a little bit hung up on you, but not really just wants you to be around for attention, etc., etc. Like, I think a lot of us have been in that situation. So that's easy to follow along. A classic love triangle, if you will. We see it on TV. We see it in our lives. It's not that deep or complicated. What's complicated is a divorce, What's more complicated is a divorce that has been going on for six plus months before we even see it, but they're pretending like it hasn't. What's even more complicated than that is that one of them has a uh, pretty debilitating mental illness. What's even more complicated than that is that one of them is a reality TV star and member of a famous family. So all of those things combined make for an extremely complicated situation that me as the viewer, although I find their segments more interesting to watch than, say, Macy or Amber, I still am left feeling like, huh? What did we just see? Like, when they had that fight on the phone when Bristol was in L.A. and she started being like, I'm a good mom, I'm a good mom, even though, like, Dakota had not said otherwise, I'm like, what the fuck is she getting mad about? But really what she's getting mad about is probably because Bristol has always told her she's, excuse me, Dakota has always told her she's a bad mom. You know what? Like, we're missing so much backstory. I really, really think that they should have waited to start filming her until after she was already divorced and Dakota was just her ex that she was co-parenting with. And, like, maybe for next year. I mean, obviously you can't. They couldn't, well, I mean, they could, but they weren't going to just be like, okay, well, we'll see you next year when you figure out your divorce. But I think that would have been a lot easier, like, to come in as an audience member. I think where we've come in as an audience is just very confusing. I don't really get it. I don't, 
I don't get their dynamics. I don't get their fights. Bristol is a very hard person to read. Uh, Dakota really is, like, letting it all hang out. Like, it's almost like Dakota has no idea anybody's filming him. <laughs> like, obviously he does. He's mic'd up. The cameras are there. But he really does not care. He says what he says. I really don't get the impression that he's playing the camera at all. I think he is being the real him. I think somebody sent me a text that was like, does Dakota not realize that Kurthy isn't his friend? She's a producer. And it really doesn't seem that way at all. It seems like he thinks these people just showed up in his house and he's just talking to dear old friends. On the other hand, Bristol is extremely reserved. She is not an empathetic person. She's not a person that it's easy to have empathy for. She, maybe, I think part of it is her, like, Botox and fillers, but she has a very severe resting bitch face. <laughs> and she's also not a person that gives a lot of emotions either way. Like, she's not a person that gives you happy or sad emotions. She's kind of like Macy in that way, um, as opposed to, like, Cheyenne, the other new girl who is so dramatic, so her feelings and emotions are so obvious where I have am having a lot of trouble getting a read on Bristol. Now, I know this is a lot of criticism, but I am enjoying their scenes. For the most part, I think because of Dakota, it's just hard to totally get what Bristol's motivations are in any of this. And I'm also not here for her being like, I just want to be a good mom. I just want to be a good mom. I don't want my kids to see his fight. I just want to be a good mom. Like, I don't care to watch somebody say over and over again, I just want to be a good mom and like not, not get into the deeper feeling of it all. I don't know. I think poor Bristol's in a hard place where she signed up for this reality show and probably did not realize how Dakota was going to act on camera. And thought Dakota was being more reserved, which is why she's being more reserved. She just needs to let it all out there a little more, I think. I, we need to see her. I don't know. She's like, as I said, the reason I was worried about her coming on the show is that I think she's boring. I think Dakota is a, oh my God, why do I keep calling her Dakota? I think Bristol is a pretty boring person who lacks charisma. I think Dakota, on the other hand, is not a boring person and he's full of if not charisma something that you want to watch and that's exciting as a viewer but it's not it doesn't make Bristol look so great basically what I'm saying is I really like these segments for Dakota and every time they switch to Bristol I'm like okay like I think Bristol had this idea that she's gonna come on the show and just show everyone like how great of a mom she is but I don't care about that. I truly, my least favorite scenes on Teen Mom are them being mothers. <laughs> I just don't care. I don't care about watching them be moms. Like that, at least not at this point in our watching. It's just their interpersonal drama is why we watch this show. Who cares about what type of mom Bristol is unless she's a bad mom. <laughs> you know, we like to watch bad moms. But good moms, it's like, I mean, I'm going to a birthday party in an hour. Like... I can watch people be good moms at this child's birthday party. I don't need to see it on my TV. So I think Bristol's agenda is like, I'm going to show everyone that I'm such a good mom. And for me, it's like, I don't care if you're a good mom. Like, that is not why I'm watching this. I'm watching this to watch you be a hot mess. So hopefully we get Dakota. I would love for Dakota to stay as crazy as he has been. Crazy is not fair because he 
he has mental health issues. But as, as like letting it all hang out as he has been. And I hope that Bristol opens up a little bit and realizes that like this show is not going to prove that anybody's a good mom and she just needs to let her free flag fly. And also where the fuck is Levi Johnson? I want to see Alaska. Also, I think it's very weird that Tripp is on Dancing with the Stars Jr. at the same time that he's on Teen Mom. Like, let that kid have a private life. He does not need to be on two reality shows at the same time. I don't get why you would want your child to be on multiple reality shows. I think you have to be a bad parent to put your child on a reality show. (laughs) Especially when you haven't been on since you were 16 and, like, it's just your life now. But you're actively choosing to put your child on multiple reality shows. I'm judging I'm also wondering why more kids from Teen Mom weren't on Dancing with the Stars Jr. I think that was a real misstep not to get Leah Shirley on Dancing with the Stars Jr. Now, Macy's segment was the most boring segment of Teen Mom that has ever been on this show. I would like for anybody to go back in Feathers in My Hair archives, find where I said that before because I'm sure I had exit from the record. And let it be known that Macy advocating for PCOS awareness is so incredibly boring, I wanted to shoot myself in the face. (sighs) Look, PCOS is very serious. I have many friends with PCOS. Well, it doesn't have to be very serious. But for some people, it's very serious. I have many friends with it. Many friends with endometriosis. Um, I understand that these are hard diseases to have because they're pretty stigmatized because they revolve around the women's reproductive system and menstruation, which as we know are not treated seriously by the society. I am on board with exposure. I'm on board with advocacy. I don't think it's a bad cause. I guess it's good that Macy is bringing awareness to it. I'm not anti-Macy bringing awareness to it, but Macy has no personality. And watching Macy misses... McKinney Goes to Washington is probably the worst segment that could be shown. When Macy said, let's save the world. Like, Macy's been a paid public speaker for the last 10 years. I hope nobody forgets that. Since, like, 2009, she's been doing paid public speaking gigs. First on her abstinence-only bullshit. And then, I don't know what else. I guess it was always on that. But, like, for the Candies Foundation, and she would get flown to colleges to give speeches. Like, Macy is a public speaker by profession. I want you all to remember that. Because she gives, her speech sounds almost as bad as Leah's. I mean, not as bad as Leah's. But Macy just has no, she's so dull. She's very flat. She's hard to watch. I wonder how I would come off on reality TV, but I hope I wouldn't be as dull as Macy. Sometimes I would love to be on a reality TV show just so I could, like, have the experience of being on a reality TV show and, like, what I looked like on camera. But I would also like no one to ever see it so that nobody could ever be mean to me the way that I'm mean to people on reality TV. Yes, I know I'm a hypocrite. I also want to get this point across. I hope I've made it clear in my almost 100 episodes of Feathers in My Hair that I'm a hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) I hope everybody gets that because I know it to be true and I feel like I say it all the time on here. Also, I just want to quickly get into something. Um, 
on Reddit this week, there was a criticism of my podcast, which is totally fine. My feathers in my hair is absolutely not for everyone. There are a few other Team Mom podcasts that are pretty different than this one, and I get why people prefer those. Uh, shout out if you guys are not listening to Amanda Loves to Hate Teen Mom is so funny. Amanda it does good voices. She's recapping old episodes. She's really funny. Uh, and there are a couple other ones that just aren't as serious as this podcast is. I understand. Somebody said, like, it's so serious, feathers in my hair. And I was like, I know. it. It's my life plague. Like, anything I care about, I take extremely serious to the point that I, like, have convulsions about how serious I feel about it. And that's just who I am. Um, I, I can't change that. This is a serious podcast. <laughs> I'm also not a comedian by trade or by choice or... That doesn't make sense. But I'm not a comedian, so this isn't going to be a comedy podcast. I hope you get some laughs out of it, but I'm I'm like a funny-ish person, but I wouldn't say I'm a funny person. But I talk a lot about the internet fandom of Teen Mom because, to me, that is the interesting thing about Teen Mom. As I said, I'm recapping the most boring show on the planet. There's a reason, like, in my intro and when I pitch feathers in my hair to Molly, like, part of it was that I wanted this to be a meta discussion on the internet fandom. It's more interesting the way that people react to the show than the show is itself, which I think is why you guys listen to this in the first place. And most, so many people that watch, listen don't even watch, which if I didn't have this podcast is probably what I would be doing just reading recaps and watching, like, select scenes that MTV puts online and not actually watching the whole show. But I talk about Reddit. I talk about Twitter vaguely. I talk about Facebook even less vaguely because, you know, I don't Teen Mom Facebook. I actually left a Teen Mom Facebook group yesterday, a small one that I joined because I started fighting with someone. And then I was like, ugh, I don't want to fight on Teen Mom Facebook. Like, I can't. I fight on Reddit. I fight on Twitter sometimes. Like, I can't. I can't fight on on Facebook, too. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. The person had, like, a decent point, and I was getting angry, and I'm trying this new thing in my life where things make me angry and unhappy. I just don't participate in them anymore. It's it's revolutionary. But the reason I talk about these things and the way that the fandom is reacting and if I agree or disagree is because that's interesting to me. Like, I think it's very interesting how people react to this show and I like the meta aspect of it now I have no idea how I got on this subject or what it has to do with Macy saving the world but that's where I am I wish Macy would be kicked off this show if there was no Mac and Ryan get rid of Macy that's where I'm feeling this season I think would could have a hundred percent not had Macy and we would have not even blinked at missing her they could take her off now. What they really should do is give us, like, five episodes so we realize how fucking boring she is and then take her off. I think it's funny now that, now I know I'm going to talk about the, the fandom. I think it's funny that I've seen so much pushback against Cheyenne and Bristol now. If people have, like, their moral obligations against them, like, whatever. But just in general, the fact that people are fast-forwarding through the new girls, they don't care about the new girls. So many Reddit posts about how they hate the new girls and they're fast-forwarding through them. And it's like, I want to fast forward through Macy and Amber. They're so fucking boring. At least Cheyenne and Bristol, like, there's some sort of storyline. This week was a little boring for Cheyenne, but at least something is going on. Macy, nothing is happening. Amber, 
nothing is happening. I just, I don't know how you can watch this show and be engaged with Macy and Amber and not engage with Bristol and Cheyenne. At least Kate and Tyler are bringing it, you know, props to Kate and Tyler for just like letting their messiness all hang out. So there's something that the original cast is still bringing us. And speaking of Amber, Gary and the family go over to visit Amber and the new baby. I'm realizing that I think Leah only goes over there when Gary and Christina go with her, which is very sad. I completely understand, but it's sad for me to watch because I think she's doing it because she's, if not scared, does not like to be over there without her parents, which is sad because she's going to visit her mom, but she won't be over there without her actual parents. We find out that Amber and... What is his name? Not Matt. Andrew. His name is Andrew. I just had such a mind blank. We find out that Amber and Andrew are going to fun Malibu or LA. I know Malibu's in LA. They're going to LA for the summer. They rent this like crazy fucking house. Crazy house. Um, I got word from somebody that that house belongs to a celebrity. She's been to it. She said it's beautiful and that she finds it almost impossible that Amber could be affording to rent that out herself and that MTV is probably paying for it. And I agree with that. You know what? And if that's the case, like good for these Amber and that these girls are trying to like finally figure out how to get MTV to pay for shit. If I was on this show, I would be taking like a million vacations that MTV was paying for every single one of them. I'd have MTV pay for everything that I possibly could. (laughs) I mean, why not? Why not? But Gary's going to find his biological dad. His mom is being less than forthcoming. I think his mom is just embarrassed personally uh, that she probably had a one night stand and doesn't have the faintest clue about who the dad could be and doesn't want to say that on TV and I'm honestly not sure that I can blame her. Um, Gary's mom has still been quite shocked to me compared to the Gary's mom that was in early seasons who essentially raised Leah for the first four-ish years of Leah's life. And now who she is today, it's just shocking. It's so different. It's not, it's not the Gary's mom that we knew. But I care little about Gary's biological father. I think I've realized that I don't like when the storylines focus on the extra characters, unless that extra character is Mackenzie and Ryan, Barbara. I like Joe scenes, but I don't need a heavy Joe scene. Um, Yeah, unless they're Mackenzie and Ryan or Barbara, I really don't care about extra characters in the Team Mom universe getting, like, hard storylines. You know, I just... Like, Gary, the plight of Gary finding his bio dad, I'm, my care level is so low for it. Because I, maybe hot take, like, I truly don't care about Gary. (laughs) I don't care about him as a person. I don't think he's very likable. I don't like the way he teases people. I don't like how he was with Amber. I think, like, the way that he jokes around is, like, kind of gross. I think he's a decent dad. Hopefully he's a decent partner to Christina, but like I really only care about Gary when he's talking to Christina about Amber and Leah. Like that's interesting, but I don't necessarily care about Gary finding his biological dad because I think the payoff for me isn't there because like, okay, so he's going to find his bio dad. Still don't care. I still have no care for Gary finding his biological dad. You know what I mean? Like 
they meet, great, they love each other, great. I don't, don't care. I would like to see more Gary scenes with his mom just because she seems, like, awful. And I think that's really interesting and fun. (laughs) But, yeah, I just, it's just not there for me. Um, And I think that's, unfortunately, how the show is going to go for the rest of the time that's on air. Because what else is there to show, especially if the moms are, you know, getting their shit together. They have to, like, dig deep into the into the storyline to find Gary's bio dad. Meh. Meh. This was a meh episode. Let's go on to Young and Pregnant. I'm so not here for two episodes ever being aired. I've always felt like Teen Mom is not a binge show. Even at one point, I remember all the episodes were on Hulu. Maybe before, right before I was starting Feathers in My Hair, I knew I was going to be starting it at a new Teen Mom 2 season. And it was like June. It was like January 7th or something. So I remember like at the end of that November, I knew we were starting the podcast. It had been approved. I had done like a pilot episode of it. uh, Never to be heard by most people, I think. Nicole, my producer, Molly, maybe Troy, and my cousin Julia. And I remember my cousin Julia being like, it was good after like the first 30 minutes. (laughs) Because at that point I like got to somebody, it was an OG episode. I got to somebody I cared about and like really, you know, like went full into my thing about ranting. And Julia was like, yeah, it was good after like you talked. I remember I opened with Macy and she was like, it was good once you got past Macy. <laughs> As I probably went to Amber and just started like screaming about Amber and Matt. But yeah, so after I'd done my never to be heard test episode, um, I decided I was going to binge watch Teen Mom 2 because, you know, Teen Mom 2 was coming up. I had no idea how long Feathers in My Hair was going to go on for. I don't think I ever even thought about binge watching OG at that point. And I, like, got through, I think, maybe the first season. And I'm a binge watcher. Like, I can watch episode after episode of a show. I'm a very lazy person. I love to lay around. But I could not, for the life of me, watch more than two episodes at once of Teen Mom. It's just not, even in the early seasons, it's just not an easily bingeable show to me. Now, I know others may not agree, but... I just can't do it. I can't do it. And I don't like that they put two episodes out on one night. I don't think it's necessary. I don't see why they did it. I hope that they're not just trying to burn off these episodes. I'd be really upset. I don't think so because they gave them like a catch-up special, which to me means like they care enough that they're not just trying to burn off the episodes. But I really hope next week it's just one episode. So with that, let's chat Young and Pregnant. Young and Pregnant is back. As we all know, we are calling this TMYP online. That's the official acronym for it. And I'm glad. As I said, I think the two episodes was too much. And I think I would have been a lot more excited for it had it just been one episode. I think by the end, I was like totally OD'd on Teen Mom. But I'm still glad it's back. And I'm going to start with Ashley. So Ashley has had a ton of online drama since Team Mom Young and Pregnant Season 1 ended. By the way, just in case you guys are wondering, this is still Teen Mom Young and Pregnant Season 1. I thought it was Season 2, but they're just in the B side of the contract, which makes me feel sad for the girls because I'm assuming they didn't get a pay bump, which is shitty because it's their second season. I think it's really shitty how MTV does 
these A and B seasons. Uh, it doesn't seem very fair. Also, Ashley. Oh, not Ashley. <laughs> also, I think this was filmed. I know this was filmed like right when Young and Pregnant first started airing. Because I remember it started airing and then I started following Shen on social media. And she was talking about a restraining order that Ashley and her mom had brought against her. Which we see play out in these first two episodes. Which means this started filming like way before basically anybody knew who they were. Which I think is interesting that we'll get basically two full seasons without them knowing if the show will be a success, if it will not. So that's cool. And I think it will come back for another season. I think MTV seems to like these girls. So Ashley has decided, oh, it's basically, it starts off like right where the last episode picked off. It's the aftermath of the surprise party. Ashley is in disbelief that Barf tried to fight her sister, Chris, which, yeah, that was really, really bad. And she's like, well, I knew he had a temper, but I just didn't realize it would go towards Chris, which is sad. And they don't understand why Shen even tried to show up. Because they know Shen, Shen knew she wasn't invited. But, like, I don't know. At this point, my sympathy and empathy towards Ashley when it comes to Shen is definitely... It's definitely going down a little bit. Because at some point, it's like, you know Shen's not going to change. And you know Barr's not just going to magically, like, have this relationship with her in which there are boundaries. So why are you still with this guy that is causing you so much distress when it comes to his mom? It just, I mean, I do still have sympathy for the situation because, you know, it's me and I have sympathy for everyone always. I can't help being an empath. Just kidding. I actually don't love when people call themselves empaths. It's not one of my favorite traits in a person when they consider themselves to be an empath and they're not, aren't necessarily ones. But where was I on this? I just so lost my train of thought thinking about empaths. Oh, so Ashley, it's like she keeps making these same mistakes. She keeps thinking that Shen is going to change. And it's like, stop letting Shen watch your baby. Stop talking to Shen. Also, she knew Shen was crazy before she got pregnant because they had been living in Vegas where Shen was living. So she knew Shen was crazy and she still chose to have a baby with him. I don't know. It's important that you consider the family of your partner before you reproduce with them. Because you're going to be stuck with those people forever. Basically, Chris and Ashley meet up with Barr. Barr and Chris hash it out. Everybody's okay. They're ready to move on. And Ashley and Barr decide to make up. Barr says that he feels really bad about how bad and crazy he got. Because he doesn't want to get arrested, basically, and lose the ability to see his daughter. He also felt like he let other people hype him up because before he even got to this party, everybody was there. They were calling him. And just knowing that his mom was attacked, like, was really upsetting. We're going to be in a long season for Shen, Barr, and Ashley, I think. They are three very sick people who all get off on the fighting. Um... I think Pastor T doesn't get off on it as much, but I still think she's into it. In the second episode, our dear Shen is back in town. Uh, In case you guys didn't know, Barr's brother Troy was convicted of murder. He is in prison for life for murder. 
I think they're peeling it, but oh my god, I can't stop yawning. I keep trying to hit pause every time one comes. I'm not even tired. I just, you know, when you, now I'm sure you're all going to start yawning because I'm talking about it. Anyway, so Shen's in town for the trial. Bar is extremely stressed over his brother. Um, I also think Ashley doesn't really care about that. <laughs> I notice Ashley will, like, say, oh, well, you know, I know he's under a lot of stress because of his brother, but none of her actions towards him make it seem like she actually cares about it. Ashley has decided to take out a file for a restraining order against Shen because Shen will not stop talking about her online. It's really escalating the situation. Um, She doesn't end up getting it. And personally, I think that's a shame. I wish the judge could have given it to her um, just so that the two of them would have to stop like whatever bullshit they do on social media. And this is also another reason I don't feel that bad for Ashley. It was crazy of her to come on this show knowing what type of fame was possible, knowing how Shen is. Now, if they weren't on this show, Ashley could just block her on her cell phone, block her on Instagram, block her on Twitter, block her on Facebook, and really not have to deal with her very much except through Bar. But because they're on this show, there are now fans watching. And some crazy-ass people are on Shen's side. I don't know how. I mean, I'm not really on Ashley's side either. I think Ashley instigates a lot of stuff. But, like, you have to be out of your fucking mind to be on Shen's side. (laughs) I'm, like, squarely in the I'm on no side camp, like I am for most of these Teen Mom uh, fights. Because everybody's always crazy. But... Ashley had to know that, like, getting, Shen getting, like, a taste of fame via the internet would make things impossible for her. Like, there's no way that she can move away from Shen and Shen's online harassment because now she has, like, thousands of fans tweeting at her. Ashley giving Shen a platform was the craziest thing that she ever did. Also, Ashley posted this really hilarious story this week on Instagram (laughs) and it was like I know you guys you guys always say I'm spoiled but like let me show you how spoiled I am and it's like pictures next to all the things that her parents bought her and it's just so funny because it's like I've never felt more of like a do not care about somebody's brag than I did about this because I mean the stuff was nice like don't get me wrong but also like I truly don't care if someone's dad bought them, like, a BMW when they were 16. I I just don't care about that. And I think it's, it would have been one thing for her to post for, like, the 1,000 kids she went to high school with to brag about. But now she has a much wider audience. And it's just so funny to think that somebody with, like, all of these followers is getting so annoyed by people saying she's spoiled that she, like, is showing off, but, like, her show-offs aren't that great. Like, she's not taking a private jet somewhere. I mean, they're cool. She, like, went on vacations, and she posted, like, her smiling teeth and was like, thanks, Grandma and Grandpa, for the $12,000 for braces. (laughs) It's just, like, so immature and funny. And Ashley is a real mess on social media herself. If you guys aren't following Ashley... I suggest it, although I did unfollow her and I just check in on her because that bitch goes live, or at least she did when the show first started. She would go live like 800 times a day, and I just can't, every time I'm on it, like, go onto the app, she's live, and I just, I can't personally deal with that. 
Anyway, Barr is not happy about the restraining order. He thinks it's bullshit, but he said he's going to go to court with her and support her. But he's being pouty. You know, his brother is on trial for murder. His uh, fiance, I guess they're unfianced at this time, is taking trying to take out a restraining order his mom. It, it's a real mess. And <laughs> Ashley's mad that he's like pouting. And Barr goes... You know, I'm stressed out, and I don't care about your punk-ass restraining order. I'm still supporting you. I'm sitting here trying to figure out if my brother's going to take an L, and you're still bitching. (laughs) Poor Barr. Barr was, like, ready to snap in this episode, (laughs) and I genuinely felt for him. I was worried he was going to snap. Although, I guess I shouldn't say poor Barr, because we did see him get, like, physical with Ashley on Instagram one day. That's another thing. They, like, Instagram their fights. It's, they're a real mess, those two. Um, my favorite scene of both of those episodes was after the, after court, Shen walks out and she screams, order dissolved, no evidence. (laughs) Shen's a star. Like, we can't deny it. Billy and I, my dear friend Billy Roberts and I discussed this, that we would love to see, like, a half hour Shen spinoff. Like, just a half hour a week and just, like, what her life is like. Oh, by the way, Billy and I have fully booked our Atlantic City weekend for Ferris Fight. <laughs> we got a nice hotel room. Billy's flying in from Florida. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm pretty sure she's going to cancel and there won't actually be a fight. We have the tickets. But, you know, if she does, we'll just, like, binge eat our way through Atlantic City and stay in our nice hotel room. Uh, so I'm really, I'm excited. It's on November 10th. It's going to be crazy. Cannot wait. Which is like only in less than a month. I can't believe it. Time's just flying, isn't it? Um, Ashley says, well, she almost, like, she's talking to her mom after. And she's like, she almost got me a restraining order because she couldn't shut her mouth. But the judge said there just wasn't enough evidence. I don't know. Those two need a restraining order from each other, so they have to stop talking about each other. I would say my opening impressions for Ashley's story this week was strong. It was good. I I don't want Ashley to veer into the too much drama to appreciate camp. And I do kind of worry that that's where she's going because the shen of it all is just so fucking crazy and that concerns me. But, you know, right now it's good. So Kayla. Kayla at this point is still with Stefan, not together, but doing whatever they're doing. And we find out Isaiah, did we find this out last season that Isaiah had the helmet thing? I can't remember if we saw it online or like just on Instagram or if we saw it on the show. But Isaiah's getting his second helmet and then he'll be out of the helmets. Kayla's really happy with the progress and she wants Stefan to apologize to her mom. That fight happened four months earlier, and he hasn't been allowed to stay the night. I was actually thrilled to hear that because I was really proud of Jamie. I think Jamie, Kayla's mom, is my star of the show. (laughs) I think she's the best mom on the show. I think she is trying really hard to support her daughter that's in an abusive relationship. There's also a child around. I think she's in over her head. But I think that Stefan fight, like, really woke her up and she created the boundary that he could not be there when she was there and she stuck to it. And you know what? 
Jamie went on her new kids on the block cruise again this week, and she had a fantastic time. Actually, I'd say Jamie is the person you should follow on Instagram. She loves new kids on the block. She has a great group of girlfriends from the cruises, and she just is living her best life and trying her best to raise her daughter and now her grandson. She has a stable home, a stable job, and... I'm sure she's thrilled that Stefan is now out of the picture because Kayla's dating some new cute guy, like really cute guy. Um, So Stefan is like, at first he's really hesitant. He doesn't want to make up with her and Kayla is upset, but it's like, girl, Stefan will always disappoint you. When are you going to learn, honey? She learns soon, thank God. But by the end of the episode, Stefan apologizes Jamie seems extremely non impressed. <laughs> She's like, okay, thank you. I know that took a lot. <laughs> Jamie wants to kill herself anytime that Stefan is around. I know I have a strict no interviewing cast members rule, but I would love to interview Jamie. Oh, there goes Cosmo. Did you hear her bark? Kazi, stop. Okay. So in the second episode, we find out that money's getting tight, so we both need to get jobs. I'm thinking, what? I need to know how much these girls are getting paid, when they get paid, what the pay schedule's like. I am wildly confused about how none of them, except for Jade, seem to have jobs. I guess Ashley's in that medical assistant training program. And we know, as she posted on Instagram, her parents support her. I just find it so funny there were two storylines in this episode about girls needing to get part-time jobs like first of all what part-time minimum wage job is going to pay for your baby I mean I I guess they make probably 25,000 for the show which is probably how much they would make I don't know how much money do you make working full-time at minimum wage but it's probably not that much more than that it can't be that much more than that especially if they're in states like, I would not be surprised if Illinois, where Kayla is, has a $7.25 an hour minimum wage. Okay, just ask Siri, Surrey, and minimum wage is $8.25 an hour in Illinois. So she probably wouldn't be making that much more than $25,000 anyway if she was working full-time at a job that she could do without you know, while also watching the baby or putting the baby in daycare. I just think it's a funny storyline on these shows and these girls, like, already have kids. Their parents are clearly supporting them. And they're like, maybe you need to get a job. I just, I don't know, I've always had a job and I just can't imagine not having a job. That's, it's real foreign to me. So they have to go, oh, and also she says Stefan should get a job too. And it's like, Stefan's 20 years old. Why doesn't Stefan have a job? Like, I guess I can understand Kayla. Like, the baby's still young. If She probably wouldn't be able to afford daycare anyway, so she just, like, stays home with the baby. And I remember she was going to community college. I don't know if she still is. They didn't mention it in either of these episodes. But it's just, well, I guess it was summer. But it's just kind of crazy to me that she doesn't have a job. That Stefan doesn't have a job. And it, she's just like, we need to get jobs. And he's like, I know. It's like, Stefan, get to work. What do you, what is he, what is a 20-year-old that doesn't go to school, that doesn't have a job, do with themselves all day? I, I don't get it. 
And isn't he, like, homeless? Does he have a home? What's going on with Stefan? I have questions about Stefan, which is another reason I like to speak with Jamie, because I think she'd be really open and honest with me. (laughs) So, Stefan has never missed a doctor's appointment since Kayla got pregnant. Apparently, like, that's the area that he's always been, like, very, very supportive. But it's the day of this doctor's appointment. She's called him, she's sexted him, and he's just, like, completely blown her off. So she gets her friend to come pick her up and drive her to the appointment and Stefan calls while they're in the car and he flips out at her. He screams at her and Kayla lets us know that basically the reason that Stefan was ignoring her was because he was with that one bitch who lives out of town. Now, let me tell you something that I hate about Kayla and the way she talks. I hate the way she talks about women. I hate she always is calling other girls bitches. Uh, She constantly talks about females. So Kayla, grow up. Come on. Let me tell you something I love about Kayla. If you go on her Instagram, in between like her Fashion Nova and her bad hair extensions, like that girl has confidence and she posts pictures of herself like in bathing suits and like full cellulite, but like she looks fucking good and she feels good about herself. And I get that vibe from her and all of her friends that she posts online and it makes me feel good. It's actually, and I don't think she's trying to do it, like... Kill's Instagram, I mean, she does, like, some weird stuff, too, but, like, for the most part is a body-positive Instagram, and I respect and appreciate that, especially considering she's, like, a new mom and she's 18 years old, and she doesn't have a perfect body, but she seems really happy and proud of it anyway, and I love that. So, Kayla and Stefan have a huge fight, and apparently, like, Kayla says, like, yeah, well, he shows up to stuff, but then if he's with this girl that's out of town, like, I can't get a hold of him, and there were two times that Isaiah was throwing up, and I couldn't get a hold of him, and she just isn't pleased. She blocks his number, and then he just shows up at his house, and he's like, you can't block me just because you're mad because we share a son, and I hate to say this, and I feel this, Jade and Sean have the same issue, but, like, that's true. (laughs) Like, You can't block the father of your child because you're mad at him. Like, blocking is not acceptable when you share a child and you're raising them together. I mean, it's good that court... That's why all these people should have actual, like, court custody and child support figured out. And they should all be using, like, that court email system. Which I cannot figure out why Janelle and uh, Nathan are not only obligated... Or only allowed to talk to one another through that court-monitored email system. It's very weird to me that they still haven't gotten that and that the court still hasn't ordered that you would think a mediator that would be like the first fucking thing that they order but i guess just not every mediator is as smart as me but i don't know i get it if stefan or sean is being abusive towards their baby mother i understand wanting to block them but i also get where they're coming from where like if if sean or stefan is blocked then like they can't come see their baby I don't know. It doesn't, it's not great. I mean, teenage, this is part of the reason teenagers shouldn't have babies, but I think this is also an issue for anybody dysfunctional and toxic, unfortunately. So we go to Jade and Sean's moved out. They've had huge fights and then Sean cries and apologizes, but then she goes and finds Sean on dating sites. So she's like, okay, go fuck yourself. It's been over a week. He hasn't seen Chloe. But we also found out that Jade has blocked him everywhere. So he can't come see Chloe. Jade gets a makeover. She gets 
this bright purple hair looks good. Um, I do want to point out that Sean goes to see his friend. And this has been the most logical friend of friend of a dad we've ever seen on Teen Mom. He basically says, like, you have done the worst thing by making Jade think that she can't trust you because she now she thinks that she can't trust you to be around her child. And you need to build up her trust again. He's like, well, she won't even let me talk to her, et cetera, et cetera. And the friend says that the way that he builds up her trust is to show up and parent regardless of if she wants to be with him or not. And that he needs to prove to her that he's going to be actively parenting no matter what. And I was like, wow, that was deep for teen mom. (laughs) (sighs) Sean comes over to babysit while Jade gets her hair done. I swear, though, they have a fight afterwards and Jade's hair is not done. So I think that was a fight from earlier. Because her hair was, like, fully purple, but then after it was, like, crunchy and still half-dyed. So, I don't know. Uh, They get into a huge screaming fight because Sean asked her to hang out. And Jade's like, no, I don't want to hang out. And then she's like, why are there clothes on my bed? And Sean starts screaming. They, she screams back and Sean leaves. So apparently after their huge fight, Sean starts acting really, really crazy. He threatens to like kidnap Chloe and that's where she blocks him like across everything. Um, the one other scene that I wanted to point out, well, two, there's one where she yells at the baby to stop crying and apparently people online were very upset about that. But look, was it great to yell at a baby for crying? No, a baby has no control. But like, it was she didn't scream in her face like she just yelled it wasn't her best moment but everybody makes mistakes parenting is hard and she was going through a very stressful time so jade goes to a barbecue a family barbecue and it's jade's grandma who's a real queen jade's aunt jade's aunt michelle and then her mom who last season i called crystal the entirety of the season but i think her name is christina So they talk about Sean, and the family is really concerned about Sean being around her. They think he's going to get physical. Uh, They 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 don't like him. They don't. They just don't trust him to be like a father at all. And her mom says something like, "Well, you know, you signed up for this." And Grandma and Aunt are like, "No, no, she didn't." And Jade's like, "Why would you say that?" And her grandma and her aunt are like, "Don't say that. Come on." And her mom is like. I know because you're just like me, which is a really mean thing to say when you're a lifelong addict who has, like, abandoned your daughter multiple times. (laughs) And Jade keeps telling her, you're rude, you're rude. Then her mom says to the grandma and the aunt, like, go ahead, tell her, tell her what you say when she's not here. Say she's just like me. And they're like, no, no, we don't say that. But, like, I don't know, maybe they do. And Jade is like, go fuck yourself and leaves. It was sad. I did appreciate the fact that Jade obviously is a grandmother and aunt. I love her very much. But her mom is just like mean and loud. And I really do feel for her basically any time that she's on on camera. Like the mom is, ugh, she's tough. Personally, I'm excited to see jade go like buck wild crazy single i hope <laughs> we see her coked out that's terrible to say but remember she posted that picture to instagram and you could clearly see the coke in it. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> i 
and then her and Sean are back together right now in real time, which is a shame. Um, I also want to know more about Sean and his addiction, which I definitely talked about last season, that there was, they were clearly fighting about his drug use, but just would not say it out loud. Can't wait. Okay, Brianna? I wonder if she says it Brianna or Brianna. She's been with Robert for five months, and they're really close and really happy. And they're all moving to Oregon, except Vanessa, her sister. Uh, Poor Brayson isn't hitting his milestones. A physical therapist comes over, but he has one arm, so it's harder for him to crawl and to stand up. Um, And she's going to be able to get services for him when she moves to Oregon, which is great. So what I wanted to talk about, one I wrote, Robert is tough to watch. (laughs) He's not very charismatic. Danae shined on camera. That fucking smile of his is so pretty. Like, he had a lot of personality. Actually reminds me very much of a person I know in real life who, like, is awful and a mess, but, like, presents themselves as strong and tough and, like, is very charming and everybody likes them at first, but then you, like, get to know them and you're like, ugh. I think that's how it is with Danae. And Danae was great on camera and Robert... Not so much. Maybe that makes Robert a better boyfriend. Probably makes Robert a better boyfriend. (laughs) So they're driving to Colorado. Vanessa's going to come with them and then fly back. And I was really shook by this revelation that Jessica doesn't have a job. That they're like out where she's moving to. She feels like the job search isn't going well. They can't get an apartment because they don't have proof of income. I was, like, a little surprised. I was like, huh, they don't have an apartment. And then Jessica says they're not sure where they're staying when they get to Oregon. And I was like, wait, what? I was really confused by that. So I understand, like, I mean, I moved from Florida, Pennsylvania without a job. I was working within two weeks of moving home. But I also had a little bit of money saved up, um... And I knew I was moving into my mom's. Like, I I had a place to move. I can't imagine moving across the country with a U-Haul full of stuff. I mean, they had multiple cars and a literal U-Haul of stuff. And they didn't know where they were going to stay. I understand her family is from there. So, and Brianna was talking about her grandfather. So, I figured, like, they were going to stay at her grandfather's. And that... You guys know I, like, sung Jessica Jessica's praises all last season. I think she is a really good communicator. I think she's somebody with pretty healthy boundaries. I, I like Jessica a lot, and I've been very impressed with her throughout Teen Mom, Young, and Pregnant. But I was a little surprised to hear this, I guess, that she was moving. Look, Brianna's 18. I think she's 18 at this point. She... And Robert could get an apartment on their own, and Brayson could stay there. Like, I know Jessica isn't forcing them to come with her, but I just thought it was weird that they would move with a baby and a truck full of stuff and, like, not know where they're going to go. You know, it's one thing to do that on your own, and, like, you can crash on people's couches for, you know, a month, and then you'll get an apartment as soon as you get a job, but, like... I don't know. It seems wishy-washy, and I feel like it's being looked over. I'm not really judging Jessica. I just, like, was surprised because she seems more, like, she has her shit together a little more, and that made me be like, does she have her shit together? 
I don't know. I'm a little confused. I hope once they get there, they realize they can stay with, like, Jessica's sister or somebody. And then they get jobs and apartments right away. And, I mean, I believe they're all still in Oregon. So, it's fine. But, uh, I don't know. Also, Robert's family seemed really nice. I was really impressed with how sweet they were to Brianna and supportive of Robert they were. Um, Brianna said they'd gotten really close in five months, and I actually believed it. They're still together as of now. I'm trying to figure out if they're in Oregon or not, but I don't know. I think they must be. (sighs) They went to Yellowstone over the summer. That must have been when they were moving. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just was surprising to me. It was surprising to me that they were moving without, like, essentially any plan whatsoever. Hope all goes well. (laughs) And finally, we have Miss Lexi. The Gilmore Girls are back. (laughs) We find out that Lexi says that they're not moving to Arizona unless her mom can come with them. Which, whatever. What's the rush? I think Kyler is being a real jerk still. Him insisting that they're moving to Arizona makes no sense. Like, you, I mean, Amber does so much for that baby. Kyler has, like, a decent job. I know he said he makes $10 an hour. But him and Lexi cannot afford to support themselves. I think what's interesting in Lexi and Kyler's relationship is watch. They were raised very differently. Uh... Lexi's pretty well. It looks like she's, like, solidly middle class. Her parents are really supportive of her. They do everything for her. And then as we found out, like, Kyler essentially raised his little siblings. His mom lives in, like, a little apartment, it looks like. Um, And I think Kyler has been independent in taking care of himself for his whole life. And I think he gets very frustrated, I mean, as we hear, with how dependent Lexi's on her mom, but also, like, I think Lexi had a point when she said, like, what you see as me, like, being spoiled is actually a parent being supportive. I think Lexi is spoiled, but it doesn't seem, like, crazy what they do for her. It's not, like, Chelsea level. Like, Amber didn't get her, uh, Lexi her own apartment to live in, and it was clear Amber co-signs on a car for Lexi. And she said, like, you have to make every payment, and as soon as you miss a payment, this car is mine. And I was like, who, how is she paying for that? But I guess if her only major bill, she's breastfeeding, so she probably buys clothes, but her mom probably bought everything else for the baby. Her only major bill is that car, and she has MTV money and Instagram money. I mean, I guess she doesn't need a job. I mean, she applies for part-time jobs, but... I'm a little confused about Lexi's financial situation to make that car payment. I thought, I think Kyler's very mean to her about the support she receives. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because the only way that they're able to like keep that baby, not keep the baby, but have that baby in a really low stress situation is because of Amber and Kyler and his mom are like that spoiled bitch. Like she needs to move away from her mom. And it's like, in struggle, I I understand what Lexi, where Lexi is coming from, because it's like, why would she want to move away from her mom that's supporting her so much and like move away to struggle? And I understand Kyler wants them to get independence and that makes sense. But like, Lexi has her head on her shoulders when she's like, first of all, Lexi did need a new car. She didn't necessarily need to go take out a 30K car loan, but whatever, it's fine. 
Um, she'll, I mean, she's getting MTV money. She's getting Instagram ad money. She'll get a job. She'll be able to pay for the car. I'm assuming her mom's paying for her car insurance. Her mom probably pays for her health insurance. It's okay. But what confuses me is that, like, why wouldn't their first step be an apartment in Colorado? Kyler seems to really hate this shithole town they're from. I don't even, I don't even remember the name of their town. I think it is a very small town. And I do understand that, but, like, why can't they move a half hour away and, like, Lexi can still be independent? I think Kyler has a very naive understanding of how much support he, like, gets from Amber. I think he views it all as Amber supporting Lexi, and her his mom definitely echoes that. And I think they are being willfully ignorant to, like, how much Kyler benefits. Like, Kyler... Does he pay any money towards Tobias's care? Like, we haven't seen them discuss child support at all. We haven't seen them discuss, like, what Kyler pays. We know that Kyler drives an hour to and from work, and he makes, like, $10 or $12 an hour. He has a truck. I'm sure most of that money is going to gas and the payment on his truck and car insurance and cell phone. Because, you know, Kyler has to pay for all his own bills. And I think Kyler does a good job at supporting himself, and I think he probably has been supporting himself essentially his whole life. But does he understand, like, his son and his baby mom, like, having a place to live and not have to pay rent, not have to pay their car insurance, not have to pay for diapers? Like, is Lexi even paying for diapers? I don't know. I just, I don't see why Kyler is so angry about the support that directly benefits his son i can understand if they were 18 and had no kid and he's like come the fuck on like grow up like let's go struggle let's figure it out like i can get that and i think that can be like a very beneficial life experience but i just don't get why he would be like at this point like so desperate to struggle in a state so far away from the family that essentially raises his child. I mean, I get he's 18, he's young and he's dumb, and I think he's being pretty cruel to Lexi about it. I don't think he's trying to understand at all. But Kyler's always cruel to Lexi. We see Lexi look for a job and like they're like, "We sure maybe we need part-time summer help." <laughs> oh, so you're going to make she's going to work like 12 hours a week. <laughs> Oh, man. I like Lexi. I just, watching her with Kyler is, like, really sad to me. I want to, like, just shake Kyler. Kyler will look back at 30 and be like, God damn, I didn't appreciate what Amber did for us. Uh, I also find Kyler's mom to be very interesting, and I would like to get to know her more. We need some more Kyler backstory. Um, I also really didn't like how they were laughing at Amber wanting, well, Lexi saying that Amber should move with them. I thought that was cruel. And it's like, just because Amber loves her kids and doesn't make her other children raise her babies, Kyler's mom doesn't mean that she's like obsessive. You know, I love my Gilmore girls. I just, I just love Lexi and Amber. (laughs) I wrote in my notes, I think it's pretty sad that neither of them seem to understand why Lexi would want Amber to move with them. You know, I I think it's sad that as a mother, Kyler's mom can't be like, Kyler, like, of course she needs her mom around. Like, her mom helps raise the baby so much. And she helped, she's always there for her. And, like, she never has to worry because her mom's there. Instead, she's like, she needs to get off the tit or whatever Kyler, gross thing Kyler said. I And laughs at it. I just, I don't know. I think it's very, I can, I think it's 
fine, not fine, but I can get why Kyler, who's never had a supportive parent, apparently, like, feels frustrated about it. But for Amber, who is a parent herself, I find it very sad that she doesn't seem to get it. Anyway, that's it. We ran through all of these 5 million Teen Mom episodes we watched this week. I hope everybody's a lovely week. I hope that Janelle is okay. Sincerely. I sincerely hope that Janelle is okay. Um, Oh, one last thing. I think I forgot to talk about this when I was talking about the Janelle phone call. Just to clear something up. She says that David doesn't have a gun on her. Doesn't have guns. But if you listen to the phone call, it's the... The person asks, the operator asks, like, does he have a gun on him? And she says, no. Then she quickly sobs. Then she says, I don't know. I think Janelle was a little disoriented. I think she wasn't trying to say, like, David doesn't have guns and there are no guns here. I think she meant, like, she didn't know if David had a gun on him at that exact moment that he left the house. Second of all, at one point, somebody comes in and Janelle says, I'm talking to my ex. Now, I've seen a lot of people online speculate that was Nathan. No, guys, use your fucking head. It's not Cortland. Cortland's in jail. Kiefer's in jail. It's not her ex. She's calling David her ex because they're fighting. And as soon as he comes in, she says, no, that's my ex. He said to call you guys off because it's self-defense. Like, clearly she's talking about David. I don't really understand why people are confused by that. And there's literally nobody else that she could be talking about except for David in that case. I understand at the end the operator says, okay, well, if David comes back or starts hurting you, call us back. But I think the operator was just a little confused by the situation. And, like, just she said, like, if David starts, she meant, like, if David starts bothering you because I think she thought David left the house again. But, guys, that's David, not Nathan or Cortland or Kiefer. Oh, my God. And that's my cue. Have a good week. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos.com